Hey everybody, welcome to Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. This is episode number 216 of our YouTube channel and podcast, and I cannot be more excited to continue sharing with you guys personal finance topics that I think could be useful for you in your long-term financial journey. Well, happy Memorial Day. And uh, in lieu of it being Memorial Day, right, I want to talk to you about something specific when it comes to your investing today. Uh, and it's a concept that's been brought up by Warren Buffett, and we'll talk about what he said uh, here in a little while. But uh, it is betting on America in your investing. And uh, this is really going to open your eyes as to how successful the United States stock market has been over time and how good of a bet it is as long as we continue to be the innovative country that we have been over time. But before we get started, though, if you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan that's specific to you and your family's needs and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can help you do that. Uh, you can just DM me on Instagram or uh, message me on Facebook or DM me on Twitter and we can begin working together uh, to build a financial plan that is specific to you and your family's needs and something that I can keep you accountable to over the long term and help you to build the financial life that you've always wanted to do by meeting your long-term financial goals. Now, I told you on Friday's episode that I was going to talk about investing in what you understand today, and I'm still going to talk about that, but I will talk about that in tomorrow's episode, so don't fret if that's what you tuned in for. But today, I want to talk about betting on America. I just figured that it would be more timely given that today is Memorial Day and uh, you know we celebrate uh, the you know men and women who have come before us and have uh, you know fought for our country. Uh, but I want to talk about betting on America when it comes to our investing. And this comes directly from the mouth of the Oracle of Omaha himself, Warren Buffett. Uh, this is not something that I'm just making up, and it's not just uh, you know something that you know somebody may think just because they're from America. No, this is something that is very true, and the data bears it out. That betting on America has historically been a very, very good idea. Now, Warren Buffett, in his shareholder letter, he puts out a shareholder letter every year uh, to his Berkshire Hathaway shareholders, uh, and he talks about a myriad of things. And one of the things he talks about a lot is betting on America. But uh, in his 2020 letter, he said something specific, uh, and I think it is worth repeating. He said, in its brief 232 years of existence, there's been no incubator for unleashing human potential like America. Because we've only been around for 232 years, uh, but we unleash human potential. He said, despite some severe interruptions, our country's economic progress has been breathtaking. Our unwavering conclusion, never bet against America. And he's right. Right? We have seen a bunch of severe interruptions. And last week we talked about a bunch of those severe interruptions. We saw uh, the Great Depression. We saw Black Monday. We saw uh, the dot-com bubble. We saw the Great Recession. We've seen the coronavirus pandemic. And what continues through all of that is that America has still been very, very successful uh, in being innovative and creating new things and having these companies become uh, very valuable over time because to the entire world, those companies are extremely valuable. Those companies provide people uh, with goods and services that have not been provided before. Just think for a moment if you, know, you went online and you wanted to look something up, right? What would you say you were going to do? You were going to Google it, right? Well, 
Google wasn't created in China and Google wasn't created in Saudi Arabia and, and Google wasn't created in Africa. Google was created in the United States, right? Google is a company that came from the tech bubble, that came from uh, that time when internet companies were very, very hot. And they are one such company that persisted over time and did something that provided a lot of value to a lot of people. And their name became a verb, right? We Google things now, right? We wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't have search engines in the way that we do if it were not for Google, right? And there's a thousand other companies that we can talk about uh, in a similar way. There's a handful that we can talk about in the way that we can talk about Google, right? That have really changed our world and changed things forever. But there's a ton of companies that we can think about uh, that, you know, their name is really synonymous with something or with some product or with some service. And when you think about those companies, a lot of those companies happen to be U.S. companies. And it's not just because we are from here and that's what we see, but it's because uh, those companies have actually been really good at what they've done over time. And when Warren Buffett says this, never bet against America, he invests based on uh, this fact. He shared a fact in the letter that illustrated Berkshire's American credentials. He said that the conglomerate owns the biggest amount of U.S. assets, property, plant, and equipment by value than any other company in the country. Right? So he puts his money where his mouth is, and it's very, very true, uh, and it has served shareholders like myself. I'm a shareholder of Berkshire Hathaway. I, I do read the, the annual letter, and uh, it has served shareholders well and uh, will likely continue to serve shareholders well to never bet against America. Now, uh, if his word isn't enough for you, uh, let's just look and, and think about for a second the largest companies in the world over time. And so I have two lists for you. I have uh, a list from 1989, and then I have a list in 2021, right? So I have uh, these two separate lists talking about the most valuable companies in the world. And this is by market capitalization, meaning uh, the total number of shares that company has outstanding times uh, their share price. Uh, to get to a market value, right? Most valuable companies in the world in 1989, right? In 1989, you had, uh, number one was the Industrial Bank of Japan. Number two uh, was Sumitomo Bank. Uh, number three was Fuji Bank. Number four, also uh, a Japanese bank. Number five uh, was Exxon, right? We've heard of Exxon. Number six uh, was General Electric. Number seven uh, was Tokyo Electric Power. Number eight was IBM Corp. Number nine was Toyota Motor Corp. And number 10 was AT&T. So out of that top 10, you had six that were all from Japan and you had four that were from the United States, right? So it seems like, hey, never bet against Japan, right? Well, you continue down that list and you say, okay, number 11 is from Japan, uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 are all from Japan. Uh, and in the bottom 10, you only had two from the US and you had one from the Netherlands, right? So a lot of Japanese companies. And then in total, you only had six US companies in the top 20 in the world, which is not bad uh, by other country standards, right? But by the US standards, only having six of uh, those top 20 companies is uh, not too impressive, right? But let's look at 2021, right? Let's look at today. And people think, oh, well, you know, this globalized world, the, the U.S. isn't what they used to be. They don't provide the same value that they used to. Other countries do it better. Other countries grow faster. And yes, other countries, some of them do grow faster and some of them do have higher growth rates. Uh, but 
Can anybody argue that other countries are actually more innovative, that actually have companies that change the world in a more tangible way, right? That actually change the way people in the U.S. do things. But U.S. companies have actually changed the way that people in other countries do things. So you look at now, right? You look in 2021 and you say, okay, the top 20 companies in the world. Number one, Apple, right? Then you have Microsoft, Okay. Then you have Saudi Aramco, which is out of uh, Saudi Arabia. It's an oil company, right? Then you have Amazon, Alphabet, which is Google, right? It's the parent company to Google. You have Facebook. You have Tencent, which is a Chinese company, right? You have Berkshire Hathaway. You have Tesla, right? And then you have Alibaba, which is also uh, a Chinese company. So in the top 10 alone, we had seven. We have seven of the top 10 when we only had six of the top 20 back in 1989, right? And then you go on from there. Uh, number 11, you've got Taiwan Semiconductor. Uh, number 12, you've got Visa. 13, you've got JP Morgan. Number 14, you've got Samsung, which is a South Korean uh, company. Then you've got 15, Johnson & Johnson. Uh, 16 is another Chinese company. 17, uh, NVIDIA. 18, uh, LVMH, and LVMH, you know, makes uh, Louis Vuittons, right? That's the LV Louis Vuitton. That's a French company. And then 19, you've got Walmart. And then 20, you have UNH, United Health. And so what's that leave you with? That leaves you with, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 of the top 20 companies in the world, largest 20 companies in the world are from the U.S. today. Right. So between 1989 and today, at least by, you know, scale, right, we have been better growers than a country like Japan who dominated the top 20 uh, back in 1989. But if you look at this list, yes, China has shown up on the list a few times. Right. You saw South Korea once. You saw Saudi Arabia once. You saw France once. Right. But in 1989, we were still the second largest in the list, right? When it came to uh, the number of companies in that top 20. But now we've got double what we had in 1989. Now I'm not saying we'll double that again, but that just speaks to the amount of innovation in the United States. And why does innovation matter? And why does the size of a company matter? Because these companies getting large made people rich. These companies getting large made our stock market indexes worth more. Because all of these companies that I just named, every single one of them, is in the S&P 500, right? They are in these large stock market indexes that we are investing in. And the fact that they have grown to be the largest companies in the world uh, means that as shareholders of the S&P 500, you benefit, right? You benefit from these companies getting larger. You benefit uh, from the fact that more U.S. companies have moved into this place uh, where they are the largest in the world. It speaks to higher growth in these companies when the S&P 500 has gone up a lot because it doesn't go up just based on uh, a feeling or emotion or behavior, at least not in the long run, right? In the short term, it may, right? But in the long run, it goes up based on fundamentals. It goes up based on the fact that these companies actually have been innovative and actually have done more and grown more than companies in other countries. Now, I don't want you to think that by me saying never bet against America and these American companies are doing all these good things, I don't want you to think that this is me saying that uh, you shouldn't invest in anything anywhere else. Not what I'm saying at all. And it's also not me saying uh, that you know you should uh, you know drop all of your you know investments that you have somewhere else and just invest in the U.S. And it's not me saying that the U.S. is just 
you know, better, better, better. No, but it is saying that U.S. companies have a favorable environment in which they can grow, they can be innovative, and they have grown and they have been innovative over time, right? Because I own international stock market indexes. I own emerging market indexes. I own individual stocks that are not U.S. companies, right? I do, but the best bet that has been made over the long term and many could argue will continue to be the best bet over the long term are united states companies is the s p 500 is the dow jones industrial average is the nasdaq right and even the nasdaq dips into uh, other countries and things like that but uh, the nasdaq is still a great u.s exchange that you could invest your money in and feel uh, reasonably good about getting your money back over the long term and growing your money quite a bit over the long term so just historically just looking at these two basic lists the u.s has not only grown in its dominance over time it has been dominant even in the late 80s and today right and you got to think in the late 80s we had just come out of what we had just come out of black monday and black Monday was uh, the huge stock market crash of over 20%, right? Uh, it was not a good year, right? 1987, especially late 1987, was not a great time to be uh, an investor because you lost a lot of value. But even shortly after that, you still had six large companies in uh, that top 20. And those six large companies, if you look back, are still companies that we know today. You were talking about GE, General Electric, right? We were talking about uh, AT&T. You were talking about Exxon, right? Companies like that are still around today. A couple others were Philip Morris. Now, Philip Morris is obviously not what it once was because uh, they are you know, the largest seller of cigarettes in the world and uh, people don't smoke quite like they used to. That's kind of gone out of style. That's why they're not one of the largest companies anymore. But uh, this still speaks to the fact uh, that U.S. companies that were around then are still, for the most part, doing well, right? Exxon's still one of the largest oil companies in the world. Uh, AT&T is still where most people go and buy their phones, right? But these companies are older. They're more mature. Uh, they don't grow and innovate in the way that they used to. But other companies came along and did so. Other companies came along and did grow and did mature and did become uh, some of the largest and most uh, effective companies in the world uh, at growing and innovating, okay? So me saying that I don't just invest in the U.S., uh, then what kind of things do I invest in, right? What other things do I invest in? I do invest in international index funds, right? So uh, one in particular that I invest in is the Vanguard Total International Stock Index Fund. Uh, and this is for some uh, diversification, right, among different countries when it comes to stocks. I also uh, have the Vanguard Emerging Markets Index Fund. Uh, I invest in, uh, you know, companies that are not from the U.S., uh, one of which being Alibaba, right, which is a Chinese company. I'm not going to give you guys all my holdings, but that's one in particular that uh, I own shares of, right? But if you just look at some of these international indexes and compare them to U.S. indexes and say, well, how have they shaped up? How have they compared to the United States? Because if the United States is so much better, if you should never bet against it, then shouldn't the United States companies be blowing these international indexes out of the water? Well, yes, and they have, right? So I'm just looking over the last five years, and the reason that I'm doing this is because um, the two funds that I'm looking at, one has existed a lot longer than the other, and so we can't get uh, the max uh, return difference here, but uh, I'm just looking at a five-year period. Now, from uh, 2016 to today, right, from 2016 to 2021, 
you look at the Vanguard 500 index fund versus the Vanguard Total International Stock Market Index, right? The Vanguard 500 has made 100.08% in a five-year period, meaning if you would have invested your money uh, five years ago, you would have doubled your money in the Vanguard 500 index, which is a great deal. That means on average, you've been looking at an annual rate of return that's been somewhere around 14% per year, which is just fantastic, right? Then with the Vanguard Total International Stock Index Fund, uh, you have seen over that same five-year period a 44.9% rate of return. And this is like, oh, wow, that's, you know, a 55, 56% difference. Then why would you ever invest any money in these international funds? Well, very typically, uh, you know, if the United States uh, is struggling, then so are other markets, right? We see a lot of global parallels in markets nowadays, right? But it still doesn't mean that, you know, if you invest in some of these international funds and the United States has something specific to it that goes wrong, uh, that you can't be hedged a bit against the United States and maybe still get some growth, even though you have uh, investments in other places. And my investment in uh, international funds is not extremely high and it's nowhere near what I have in things like the S&P 500, but uh, it is still there and it is still a particular hedge that I do use. Now, so you see that big difference, that big difference in returns over time. The U.S. has done extremely well. Now you say, okay, well, that's that's only five years, right? Well, uh, with those two particular funds, if you back out to uh, when the Vanguard International Stock Index Fund was created, right, it was created back in 2010, you go from the day that it was created, so it had a 0% return, the day it was created, the Vanguard 500 Index Fund, since it was created in the early 2000s, right, it had actually a negative return to that point, to the day that the international fund was created. Uh, it had a negative 13.12% return. So the other fund actually gets a head start. The international fund actually gets a head start. And if you look from back in 2010, so 11 years ago to now, right, the Vanguard 500 index fund amassed a return uh, that was 207.6% positive, and that goes its entire life, right? But it went from negative 13 up to positive 207.6. And that Vanguard Total International Fund only returned 36.64% over that 11-year period. So uh, an even greater disparity at this point if you look at the entire life uh, of the international fund. And that doesn't mean that it's necessarily a bad international fund. That just means a diversified group of U.S. large-cap equities has vastly outperformed a diversified index uh, of international companies over time. Now, of course, there are international companies that have grown uh, many-fold and have done very well at growth and innovation. That is not to be argued, right? But we're talking about diversified groups of companies that you can take and invest your money into and just allow your money to grow. The S&P 500 has just been hard to beat over a long period of time. So you even want to go further with the S&P 500 and say, okay, uh, well then what's the return been over a longer period of time? If I want to know what kind of returns I can expect, uh, then let's take a look. Well, from May of 1921 to May of 2021, a 100-year period, right, the return on the S&P 500 with dividends reinvested. And if you remember, dividends being reinvested means that the dividends that you get paid just get invested back into whatever you are invested in. So back into the S&P 500 here, right? Would have provided an annualized S&P 500 return of 10.732%. So if you would have started investing 100 years ago, right? And invested just systematically from then on all the way until today, 
then your money would have made 10.732% annually over that time period, which is a fantastic rate of return uh, and is a rate of return that on average uh, will double your money about every seven years, which is fantastic. Now, some people think in this day and age of you know cryptocurrency and high-flying growth stocks that uh, you know that those are you know pedestrian returns and that people are boomers when they're trying to go and get 10% returns. But over the long term, right? We're not talking about short term. Over the long term, getting 10 plus percent a year returns uh, is fantastic. It's what you want. You want to shoot for that 10% number. That 10% number is fantastic, uh, and it's very very hard to beat. It's very very hard to beat the S&P 500 over a long period of time and continue to multiply your money in the way that it has. U.S. companies have won. U.S. companies have done the most over time. Now, does this mean that they'll continue to do the most into the future? Not necessarily, okay? And other economies are growing faster, right? The Chinese economy grows very fast. The Indian economy has even grown much faster than the U.S. economy over time. It's not larger, uh, but it has grown faster, right? These economies are growing very, very fast. Uh, but what is something that the United States does have uh, that a Chinese uh, company does not? It's the free reign to innovate, right? We have a lot less regulation to innovate and we have a lot less oversight uh, by our government to innovate uh, in the way that we can, right? And the United States will continue to innovate. Now, if there are practices that are just overly anti-competitive, uh, if there are large companies that just dominate markets and uh, continue to grow over time, they're not gonna continue to grow at the same clip, but they could dominate market share uh, and really squeeze out smaller companies. And if we don't regulate that well, uh, then that could be problematic. But uh, we have to understand that we have some freedoms here that people elsewhere don't. And we have you know, this uh, American thing about us where we want to build our own thing. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody wants to build the next Uber or the next Facebook or the next whatever, right? And some people actually go out and do it. Some people actually do create the next Uber. Some people actually do create the next Facebook without even trying, right? They, they're just trying to create something that they like and that they uh, enjoy and something that they think can change the world. And guess what? Sometimes it does. Right, uh, and that is our free reign to innovate that a lot of people take advantage of. Uh, just think about the ease of raising money in the United States, the ease of being able to uh, find investors that want outsized returns, being able to uh, go to debt markets so easily for publicly traded companies uh, and get you know these bond issues for millions and millions of dollars uh, to take on this debt, or going to a bank if you have any type of um, you know, business acumen at all and being able to go to a bank and get uh, some type of business loan to grow your business. Now, I'm not saying getting a business loan or a small business loan is easy, right? But I'm just saying relative to other places, relative to other places where you could try to do the same thing, uh, the red tape is far less. Uh, the standards by which you are evaluated are far less. Uh, the collusion is far less, right? But all of that being said, uh, that doesn't mean that a United States company is always going to do better. It doesn't mean a United States company is always going to be superior to some other country, right? But it does mean that we can get big fast. It does mean that we can grow very quickly. Now, quick growth is also problematic because it has gotten us to this place where we are very reliant on debt, right? We really rely on debt to grow fast because debt does allow you to grow fast because it's you taking money from another place, growing it, hopefully by some larger clip than what you owe, 
right? And then repaying what you owe and then basically having made returns out of money that you didn't have, right? That's what debt does. That's how we lever up. That's how we use leverage. You ever hear somebody say use leverage? That's what it is. But the danger is, is that you don't make the returns that are larger than the payment that you have on the debt or larger than uh, the cost of the debt. And then you owe on the debt, but you're not making any return. Therefore, you're in the negative. You're in the red. When previously, if you just made any return on your own money, uh, you would still grow, right? Uh, but you may just grow slower. Now you're moving backwards because you take on more debt, right? Debt can be problematic. And in the United States, it has become problematic. It's become problematic in many parts of our country. It's been problematic in corporate debts. Uh, it's been problematic uh, with student loan debt. Uh, credit card debt has been extremely problematic. It's actually become less uh, so recently, uh, given the stimulus money that was given out uh, and people uh, really paying off their credit cards. I think that's been a really cool thing that's come out of the pandemic. But uh, auto loans have still been a big deal. Um, you know, payday loans are a big deal. All of these things, all of this access to debt has made us to where, yes, we can grow very fast. It can put you in a place where you're not really able to dig yourself out. Uh, and as a country, that is the scary part. That is the downside. That is the possible downside uh, of everything that I'm talking about is, yeah, not betting against America has been very, very profitable over time. But something that could keep it from being profitable in the future is the fact that we are very indebted to other countries. We're indebted uh, to the Chinese in a large way, right? We're indebted uh, to other countries that do have uh, you know, the ability to grow. They do have uh, these opportunities uh, that you know, in some industries the United States doesn't have or maybe the United States is regulating away from. Uh, you know, we, we talk a lot in the U.S. about uh, the climate and being green and all of these different types of things, which are not bad things in and of themselves. But other countries don't care so much about that. Right. And therefore, they're able to grow certain sectors of their economy uh, much more than we are. Uh, but the question is, is that going to make them innovate more than we do? Is it going to make them change the world in more ways than we do? Uh, and in short, I don't believe that it will, at least not anytime soon. I could be absolutely wrong, but obviously the Oracle of Omaha himself, Warren Buffett, doesn't think that it will. Uh, and in Warren Buffett not thinking that it will, that makes me want to continue investing in U.S. companies, continue with pouring money into the S&P 500 over time uh, and keeping uh, a fair amount of what I invest in U.S. companies and in U.S. index funds. And over the long term, I think that will continue to be profitable. Now, will it be the most profitable thing that you can do? Maybe. Maybe not, but historically it has been, okay? And if we continue to be the country that we can be and continue to be resilient in the way that we have been in the past, uh, I don't necessarily doubt that we'll be able to do so in the future. But even if we aren't, right, I do have uh, hedges. I do have money invested in other places and you should too, right? This is the idea of diversification, diversifying your investments out. Uh, but that doesn't mean uh, that your higher conviction things that you invest in, the things that you believe in the most, shouldn't be the places where most of your money should be because they absolutely should. Your money should be in the places where you have the highest conviction. And I have a ton of conviction about the S&P 500. I have a ton of conviction about uh, several U.S. companies and their ability to change the way that things go in the United States and uh, their ability to uh, create products and services that nobody has ever seen before. I have conviction about Chinese companies. I have conviction about companies from other places in the world, right? But overwhelmingly, if you asked me what I could invest all of my money into, I only could invest my money into one uh, investment vehicle when it comes to the stock market over time. I could invest my money in one thing. What would that be? 
an S&P 500 index fund. And that just speaks to the fact that I will not, over the long term, bet against America. And whether you choose to or not is up to you. Uh, but do you believe me or do you believe Warren Buffett, right? Because we're saying the same thing, right? But uh, you do what you do with your investments. I'm just telling you uh, that not betting against America has historically been a good idea and will likely continue to be a good idea at least for the rest of my lifetime. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, I'll do a recap video here in 30 years and let you know uh, how that has turned out. But hopefully it turns out well. And history has shown us that there's a pretty good chance that that will be true. So thanks for watching this video. If you could go down below, hit the big red subscribe button, like this video, leave me any feedback in the comments down below, and I'll be sure to respond to anything you leave down there. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify podcast, be sure to subscribe and leave me a review on either one of those platforms. Follow me on social media at MNO with Dylan, and that's really good supplemental materials to all the things I'm putting out in these long form episodes on YouTube and the podcast every single day. And then if you need somebody to help you to build a financial plan that's specific to you and your family's needs and keep you accountable to that plan over the long term, then I can help you do that. Uh, just go to Twitter, go to Instagram, go to uh, Facebook, send me a message, tell me what you need from me and I can help you uh, in order to build a financial plan that's specific to you and your family's needs. I can help you uh, to stay accountable to a plan over the long term and help you to build your long-term financial goals out in a way that maybe you never thought was possible. And we can do that together. Just give me a shout uh, on any of those social media platforms. So tune in tomorrow as I do get around to talking about uh, not investing in things if you do not understand them. And hopefully that helps you uh, to be a better investor over the long term uh, and not just blindly invest in things that other people say that you should. So thanks for tuning into this episode of Money's No Object. I'm your host, Dylan Howell. God bless.